morning being able to share with you. We're going to continue our series from 1st John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Uh, the series called Love Is. Um, let me tell you that uh, my incredibly wonderful wife and I, as of next month, will be married 35 years. How about that? Now, I, I'm, I'm giving you a month's notice, not... Uh, that's because I don't know if I'm going to be speaking in August anytime, so I thought I'd tell you now. And it relates to what I'm talking about today. We are not the same. She was in the first service today, and, and when I made the statement, she shook her head. We are not the same people we were 35 years ago. I promise you. That's a good thing. We were not. See, there she comes now. Isn't she beautiful? There she is. <laughs> she gets to hear this message again. No, really, when we first got married, Pastor Cox married us. We first got married, I'll be honest with you, I thought, man, she's getting a good husband. Man, isn't she lucky to marry me? Because I, I really was a really great guy. You know, everybody liked me. I thought, man, how lucky she is. Let me tell you, 35 years later, I am the blessed one. I am so thankful that God gave her to me. 35 years ago. And you know what? She could say the same thing. There's something about love over a period of 35 years that changes. I think you could use the word matures. So today, I guess I'm going to title this message, Love is Maturing, Growing. And 1 John chapter 4 captures it big time. Now I've got to go to 1 John chapter 4 in my nifty little thing here iPad sorry I'm much better with the Bible I'm trying to learn how to do this all right here we go verse 12 if you'll you'll read this with me chapter 4 verse 12 no one has ever seen God but if we love one another God lives in us and his love is look at this made complete in us that's the word for matures. If we live in God's love and walk in God's love, something begins to happen. His love in us begins to mature. Now, what does maturing love of God look like? Uh, that's the question. What, how do I know things are happening in me? How do I know that there's a maturing going on? Do I have to wait 35 years later and look back and go, oh yeah, by the way, by the way, we're different than we were. See, when we first got married, it was a lot about, you know, I'm right about this. I'm right about this. No, I'm right about this. No, I'm right. It doesn't matter so much 35 years later as to who's right. It just matters that we're right with each other. See, that's, that's part of what, how love matures. I'm serious. Uh, you, know, you, you know how it is with your first child. You, you want your child to be born normally be a normal child, but as soon as they're born, they have to be extra special, ahead of everyone else, and perfect. And that first child, you know, you just got to be perfect. And so we are going to raise that child up with our view of perfection. We're just going to raise them up and just make everything work perfect. And you know, it, they resist those things. <laughs> so by the time you've had your second, third, or fourth child, you're just going, hey, another baby, woo, and that's it. Part of that's maturing as well. So what does maturing look like? Well, I'm, I'm going to preach a two-point sermon. Now, don't let that fool you because i got some 
little things to throw in with each point. But here they are. Point number one. Maturing looks like, well, we learn to think like God. When you walk in God's love and you mature in Him, you learn to think like God. If you will, look at verse 1 of chapter 4. I'm going to go to several verses here. Dear friends, don't believe every spirit. Test the spirits to see whether they're from God. Many false prophets have gone out in the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Now go, if you will, to verse 5. They are from the world, therefore they speak the viewpoint of the world. The world listens to them, but we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God is not listened to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. There's something about growing in God's love that gives us discernment to where we start thinking like God. It gives us discernment about things. Many, many years ago, many years ago, um, uh, Pastor Ron will remember this quite well, we had a high-powered, flaming evangelist through here who was packing the, the churches out all over the place. And we had him to come here and spend a couple of weeks here with us. And it was a circus. It was crazy. He came, I mean, the place was packed out every night, not with our folks necessarily, but folks that came, we didn't know where they came from. But they came, saw him crazy. But it was packed out, buddy. It was packed out. And um, there was, he, you know, he was just this amazing guy that all the gifts of the Spirit were working through him from the stage and the microphone at, at every night. You could count, count all nine of them. Right there they go. He was incredible. Um, on stage, he was fantastic. But there's something about discernment that you notice after a while. See, you know, everybody's looking at the guy on stage, and that's all they see is the guy on stage. But I remember about a week and a half into it, something just didn't taste right about this guy. And we talked about it. And he was all flashy and powerful, and boy, it just didn't taste right. So we were in the foyer of the old building, Pastor Ron, and there was a, a person there. We were standing next to high-powered evangelists. And uh, as we could feel the power beaming from him. And someone in the foyer had a seizure. Now, we didn't know if it was a demonic manifestation or just a regular seizure. But let me tell you what high-powered man of God did. While I was expecting high-powered man of God to immediately go with a, thus saith the Lord, Jesus lived, he ran, ran like a scalded dog, scared to death. I think he was scared it was a demon. And I remember there we were trying to help the person and didn't know we were trying to determine whether to pray or not. This guy was gone, buddy. He was a stage personality. He wasn't a regular personality. We started realizing that sometimes what you see on stage is not what really is. And discernment tells you it's about character, not about performance. <laughs> Later on, in fact, the very final night that that person was at our church, Pastor Ron, I remember this like it was yesterday. It was the altar call time. He didn't know it was his final night, but it was. <laughs> we were having the altar call time, and there were people down there celebrating. And High Part Evangelist had to drink some water to cool his tongue. And uh, he left just a little bit of water in the bottom of the cup. And he leaned over to Pastor Ron. I was on stage, too. He leaned over to Pastor Ron and said, watch this. And he went, whoosh, 
and threw the water, what was left, in, and it hit a lady right in the neck. It hit her, and oh, she just thought that was wonderful. He just laughed. And Pastor Ron said, we're not going to go any more nights. <laughs> and later on, he said, I knew then, we don't treat our people like that. Let me tell you what. Discernment, you discern character, not performance. And after that, Pastor Ron tried to warn several other pastors, <laughs> don't get him to come. <laughs> but some of them wouldn't listen, and then they had the, the same story to tell later, didn't they? Here's the deal. Love is maturing, and when you mature, you begin to discern using character, not performance. That's a big deal. Suddenly you start, instead of um, being judgmental of people, when you grow in God's love, you start being more merciful than you've ever been, more forgiving than you've ever been, less judgmental. You know why? Because if you're more judgmental, it all comes right back to you. And after you walk with God for a while, you figure that out. That just as sure as you're going to jump on somebody's case and rebuke them, you're going to repent of the same thing not long afterwards. And you're going to need God's mercy again. So God's love helps you start thinking like God thinks. And you start realizing it's character that matters, not performance. There's something else about thinking like God. It gives us this incredible assurance. Look in verse 4. My dear children, you're from God and have overcome them because the one in you is greater than the one in the world. Look at verse 13. This is how we know we live in him and that he lives in us. He's given us his spirit. Look at verse 17. This is how love is made complete among us so we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we're like Jesus. There's no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. God gives us this incredible assurance when you start growing and maturing in God's love. Part of that assurance is just the idea that what in the world would I do without prayer? Have you ever thought that? I, I love the Fanny Crosby song. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. What would we do without this assurance that God loves me and will listen to my prayers? I don't understand how people live without prayer. Do you? I, do not, I don't see how people raise children without prayer. I don't see how people stay married without prayer. I don't see how people can love their neighbor without prayer. Prayer is the most incredible thing. No matter what goes on, there's always this thing, well, God hasn't said the last word yet. And there's this hope inside of me. Even when, when I'm around um, people that disappoint me or uh, master students, you understand where I'm going here. Sometimes everybody doesn't get everything like you want them to get it when you want them to get it. And sometimes people may come through and leave here and not have it all together and go out. And, but you think the, the things that God started in them, that God continues to do in them, he'll finish it later. Because he's not finished right now. And there's this assurance that says, I'm not the Holy Spirit. I can't make it happen. But I can do what God said and leave it in his hands. That's an assurance that I have. Because the Spirit of God lives in me. I have this assurance that no matter what happens, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. 
That's an incredible assurance to have. That it even mentions, it gives us confidence in the day of judgment. Uh, I had this dream last night. Now this is weird. I don't think this was a prophetic dream. This is just, this is just one of those dreams that I woke up and laughed. And you're going to say, how did you do that? But here goes. I woke up at about 5 this morning. I looked over at the clock and I saw it was about 5 and thought, nah, not time yet. So I lay back down and I had a dream. And I dreamed I was near Washington, D.C., somehow. And I saw a bright light, turned around, saw a mushroom cloud and thought, oh dear. Now, in my dream, this is immediately what I thought. I'm going to go see Jesus. I did not think, oh, I'm going to be fried. I did not think judgment has hit the country. I thought, wow, I'm going to be with the Lord. And that's the first thing that popped in my mind. And I thought, now that's cool. That is cool because what God did was he cast out all fear. <laughs> because my love for him is his love, which is perfect. He gives me hope. Um, when I was... Um, when I was about, I guess I was about 11 or whatever, my family went on this extended vacation uh, in the big Buick. And uh, that's what it took back then to get all of our suitcases. And uh, I, have a, I, had a, I have, I still have a sister, but I had a little sister at that time. She was about six, five, six, something like that. And we were at this motel. And, you know, when you're on a vacation and you're in a motel, you go to the swimming pool. Well, let me tell you about my mom. My mom never learned to swim. She was terrified of water. I don't know how she got baptized, but she was terrified of water. She, and she wasn't a Methodist, so I don't know how that happened. Mom, uh, we knew mom was not going to get close to water. Uh, she really terrified her. But she was sitting over there in one of the little chairs away from the pool while we played. And my little sister was playing around her on, on dry concrete. And my brother and I were swimming in the deep end. And all of a sudden, I remember turning around and looking and seeing my mom just belly flop into the water. And I thought, what in the world? My mother's gone crazy. She has just jumped in the water. And then I realized that my little sister had fallen in the pool. And was, mom was talking, and then mom looked up and saw her and jumped in there to save her. I remember where it was. It was in Denver, Colorado. And... Uh, <laughs> I, I remember every time I read the verse that says perfect love casts out all fear, I think about my mom jumping in the pool because her love for her daughter overruled every bit of fear that anybody could ever have of water. To me, that is the definition for perfect love casts out all fear. Let me tell you about God's love. God's love is so incredible that it takes your fears and it erases them. You don't live in fear anymore. Not of atom bombs or judgment or you don't live in fear that God isn't going to love you anymore. Because his love matures you and it takes away that. And all of a sudden, you think like God. Here's the second point. If it looks like thinking like God, what does it also look like? Maturing love helps one act like God. Look at verse 7. Dear friends, let's love one another. Love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love doesn't know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. Look at verse 20. Whoever claims to love God and yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. 
I want to tell you about God's love as it matures. It doesn't just make you think like God and give you discernment and assurance. It helps you start to act like God. Act like God. You see, God's love is relational. Love is relational. God is relational. It's not me and Jesus, we got our own thing going. I know there's a, an old gospel country-ish song called Me and Jesus, We Got Our Own Thing Going. That is the dumbest song in the world. It basically says, church people get away from me. I'm going to live like I want to because me and Jesus got our own thing going. Well, let me tell you what. The thing Jesus has going is written in the Bible. And the Bible says that love is relational. You can't just be a lone ranger with Jesus. You got to love folks. You got to love other people. You got to relate to them. I want to tell you, uh, several. This, I know this sounds like Mark and Peggy's vacation sermon, but many years ago, Peggy and I went to New York City. It would be our first time to go, and we didn't know anything. We, we were staying in this place on Manhattan uh, Island, and we had learned how to ride a subway, and we got on the subway, and we went to Brooklyn to go to the Brooklyn Tabernacle. Jim Cimbala, Carol Cimbala, the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir it was wonderful. It was amazing. Went to a Sunday night service there, and it was great. I wanted to shake their hand, so we made our way to the front, and we shook their hand. And they, where are you from? Well, we're from Alabama. Oh, where are you staying? We're staying in so-and-so in Manhattan. Oh, how'd you get here? On the subway. How are you getting home? On the subway. No, you're not. No, you're not. Not Brooklyn. Not, not on Flatbush Avenue. You're not going, no, uh-uh, uh-uh. Well, we don't know how we're going to get home. He goes, well, this is Jim Cimbala, the pastor, the guy that writes books and his wife that r r runs choirs. Famous people. We'll, we'll work a way for you to get home. Uh, hey, come here a minute. And he called this guy over here and said, you live in Manhattan. Will you give these folks a ride home? And then he looked at us and says, why don't, hey, just come on with us. Come eat supper with us. Jim and Carol Cimbala ask Mark and Peggy nobody to eat supper, to eat dinner with them after church. We sat with the symbolists and ate and enjoyed it. And then we had a chauffeur take us home. <laughs> now let me tell you what. There's a world of difference in Jim and Carol Cimbala and that hot shot that was on our stage one day. Because Jim and Carol Cimbala cared about it. They didn't know who we were. We couldn't do anything for them. We had no money to give them. We were, not, we, were, we were of no use to them whatsoever. But they treated us with love and respect and cared about us. He, they could have said, hey, we're going to go eat dinner. And who cares about the people from Alabama? They get home the best way they can. Angels have to guard them. They cared about us. Because they learned to act like God. Not just talk about him. You got to learn to act like God. I'm proud of Kingwood Church. This church acts like God. Uh, four years ago, we started having strange visits. Five, um, five years ago, maybe. Strange visits from Mormon missionaries who would come in here on Sunday night. Pastor Ron, you remember that? The Mormon missionaries showed up. And uh, I want you to know, Kingwood Church treated them very well. I became friends with those guys. I, I would talk with them and not tell them, hey, you're not welcome here because you're Mormons. You know, you don't believe like us. This church was kind to them, loved them, friendly to them. Um, I, I asked, you know, they want to talk to you all the time. So I, I said I'd talk with them. So I went out and ate lunch with them. And I, 
I remember sat down, you know, the guys, they have their little elder so-and-so stick, uh, pee and zone and ties and all. And we were sitting there and we sat down and we, we were just going to talk about each one of us, what our faith was. And that was cool with me. And uh, I said, I looked at one of them, the blonde-headed guy looked at him and said, what's your name? He said, Elder Harrison. I said, is your first name Elder? He said, no, we just prefer. And I said, what's your name? He said, well, we prefer to be called by Elder. And I said, oh, come on. What's your name? He looked at the other guy and he goes, CJ. <laughs> I said, well, my name's Mark. Don't call me pastor. Just call me Mark. And we started talking about almost once a week. Friends. They would come here, came to all the Master's Commission stuff, loved it. We talked about a lot of stuff. Talked about the Bible, talked about our view of Jesus. We became friends. When he finished his two-year mission in this area, he went back home, came back to visit, brought his mother and sister, came to church here. <laughs> came to church here. Told us that he had never been treated like that anywhere. He said, in the South especially, you know, people are very religious. And he said, you go to their house and they'll say, get the blank out of here. I go to church. I'm a Methodist, Baptist, Catholic, whatever. I'm... He said, you know, they ride bicycles. He said, more than once he's been hit with a cheeseburger. <laughs> people holler obscenities at him and then drive off with a honk if you love Jesus sticker on the back. Boy, that's the way to win them, isn't it? Throw a cheeseburger at him. But you people were kind to him. And did you know when he left, since then, he calls me regularly? Well, last week, two weeks ago, I guess it was two weeks ago, I got on a plane and flew to Phoenix and surprised him at his wedding reception. He had no idea I was coming. And I just walked in. He sent an invitation, so why not? And he was blown away, cried. I cannot believe you came there. And then in front of about 80 Mormon people, <laughs> they're all Mormons. There's no smoking or drinking going on there, I promise you. <laughs> he said, I want everybody to meet. This is Pastor Mark Sims. He's from an incredible church in Alabama. We became really good friends, and it is an honor to have him here. And I got to, I talked with bunches of people. And they would ask me things like, does your church believe that we're the tools of the devil? I said, I've never called anybody a tool of the devil. And you know what? I don't think they'd ever met Christians who loved them. Folks, I want to tell you something. I'm, I'm proud of Kingwood Church. This guy, he's not a Christian yet, but he's a lot closer to becoming a Christian now because you acted like God in front of him. It's true. I remember, Pastor Ron, you remember one time when you cornered him over there? And he said, why do you guys wear ties? <laughs> they said, well, that's just what our mission tells us we have to wear. And he goes, oh, come on. He said, you're not going to reach your generation with a tie. And you know what? He said that the other day. He said, I never will forget when he said it. He goes, you know, it's true. <laughs> it was great. Let me tell you what, you become real with people and love people, and you've got a shot at them. I want to say also how proud I am of Kingwood Church for 
celebrate America. I thought we were friends with our city. But personally, Peggy and I are so grateful because this Chinese couple that we befriended four years ago uh, that run the restaurant in Helena, we, uh, Pastor Clark worked it out to where they were able to be one of the vendors. And uh, they were blown away by the friendliness of the people that weren't even hungry would come up and just say hey just want to say hi and hug them and shake their hand and stuff and let me tell you what that goes such a long way in taking people who do not know the lord because when you act like god around people and treat people with love and respect it can change their lives we've been friends with the family for quite a while and um sometimes when they get in a mess they'll call us or whatever and so kevin the guy that runs the restaurant he had to go to the doctor for something and he called and asked if I could come pick him up at the clinic and I did and we were coming back and I was able to meet his mother and father who have just arrived from China and uh, he's interpreting he introduced me to his mother as his best friend and uh, now he's not a Christian he introduced me as his best friend then he said um, he told his mother, his mother asked something about us and she ran in the house and came back with a gift. It was this framed, beautifully embroidered Chinese symbol and gave it to us. And I, I said, thank you, it's beautiful. What does it say? It says family. Let me tell you, they're not Christians yet, they're close. And you know why? It's because you at this place have been kind and loving and all of you who go to their restaurant tip well and you treat them like uh, I'm serious and you treat them like they're important people I'm telling you that's what God's love does when it matures it treats people right it has you act like God and it's not hard to act like God when God's love lives in you it's not that difficult I remember a few years ago when we were at the older build, old building over there, we, had, we, had a, we ran what we called Kingwood Counseling Center. had a lot of volunteer counselors that counseled there, and I had a, a lot of counseling that I did at that time. And there was, a, there was a guy that had come to me three or four times and had just talked to me about problems he was having. And one of the, one of the times he was talking to me, he was talking to me about a custody issue he was having with his daughter, and he said his ex-wife won't let him... Uh, see his daughter now that he has a new relationship and all this kind of stuff and I just I, it really wasn't it really wasn't a word of knowledge or anything I just sort of figured it out I just said so this new relationship in your life is a guy right and he said well I'm out of here <laughs> he got up I said what is it and he goes I know how you guys feel about that I'm, there's no sense in us talking anymore I said, why why? I'm not afraid of you like I'm going to get AIDS from you or something. Sit down. Let's talk. I'll be more than happy to talk to you anytime you want to. And he was blown away at that. And I, you know I'm not for that lifestyle, nor, nor would I. But let me tell you what. God created that guy and loves him, and he's not going to come to the Lord if people hate him. He came several times. came to our church said, you're not going to say I can't come to your church anymore? No! In fact, our church is a place that he was allowed to bring his child so they could be ministered to. And we come and listen to the Word of God here. I don't know what the end of the story was. I, that, that's not, 
I don't know the end of the story. But I know this. When he thinks back of how Christians taught him, how Christians treated him, he would look back at Kingwood Church and say, they didn't hate me. They acted like God toward me. Even if they disagreed, they acted like God toward me. And that's how we're going to win a world, by acting like God toward them, loving them, caring about them. We don't have to change what we believe for that. Just treat people with respect. I'll tell you one thing about relational love. Relational love ensures that no matter what's going on in your life or in the people you love, that that's not the end of the story. Because when you love people, God still has a chance to go in there and finish a work that he started. But if you cut people off with judgment and hatred, then there's no shot you have at them anymore. That's true. Uh, Pastor Ron always said this. If anybody ever got mad at the church and left, he said, leave the door wide open. Just leave the door wide open. Hug them when you see them. Leave the door wide open and, and don't ever close it on them. That's the truth. And that spirit is in this place. I'm happy for that. I had uh, one of our incredible gentlemen today told me after the first service, he said, uh, that's why I came to Kingwood. Came here because people loved us here. People loved us here. They didn't, we didn't have racial boundaries here. He told me that. He said, this is the funniest thing. He said, you know, for all these years, I thought Kingwood was a Catholic church. <laughs> I said, I had no idea it was not a Catholic church until I came and visited. I don't know how they got that, but I'm going to tell you something. They'll know we're Christians by our love. And love grows you up, matures you. Finally, you act like God by being relational. But here's one more thing. God's love is also sacrificial. And when you act like God, you become sacrificial in your love. Chapter uh, 4, verse 10 and 11. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. There was a missionary friend of mine named Sarah Murphy. She, uh, she was a Methodist missionary way back in the, in the, actually she was on the mission field in the 50s when Cuba was not communist. And uh, actually they had to leave Cuba when Castro took over. And... Um, Sarah Murphy lived in Havana there, and right outside of the city of Havana was a, uh, was a leper hospital, a leper colony, actually, with a, with a small clinic there. And that's where they stayed, in this big building. And she said that she was finally given permission uh, to go in and do something there, to have a service or whatever. She said that when she walked in for the first time, she said as she would walk down the halls, the people who had leprosy would turn away they were taught to turn their back to people so they wouldn't breathe on them or whatever if there was ever a visitor. And she said as she went, she just went down the hall and people would look at her with these, uh, these empty eyes and then they would turn away as she walked, walked down the, the hall. She said it just killed her. So she said one day she was there and she, there was a woman sitting. She couldn't even stand. She was in such bad shape. She was sitting there and she said as I walked up and I, my eyes made contact with that lady... She said, as I saw her, that woman's eyes said to me, somebody love me. And she said, before I even knew what I was doing, I had reached down and I put my arms around her and I was holding her in my arms. 
and nurses came flying out going, you can't do that, you can't do that. She said that the woman's face that I left after I'd hugged her was a different face than the one before I hugged her. And she said she started realizing that's what Jesus would do. That's what Jesus would have done. Because love is self-sacrificing. He sacrificed his life for us. So we ought to do the same for one another. Sacrificial love is when we ultimately act like God. Now listen to this. When you love in such a way, listen carefully, that your only reward is eternal. That's called sacrificial love. When you can gain nothing in this world by loving something or somebody. When you love somebody where you can gain nothing in this world, in fact, you might even lose something in this world, but you choose to love them. The reward is in heaven. That is sacrificial love. God calls us to mature to that place. It doesn't start that way. Peggy and I went on a vacation this week. Just got some days off. We went to Savannah and Charleston. Never been there before, and it was just wonderful. We had a great time. I think it was the first vacation we've had since becoming empty nesters. And uh, we just had a wonderful time. And I think one of the most incredible things that we were talking about it is how things are different. Things are different when we think alike now. <laughs> we think alike now. What an incredible, overwhelming thing that is. Uh, I was just overwhelmed with the fact that this lady has been with me for 35 years and loves me more today than she did at the beginning. And I feel the same. To me, that's overwhelming. In a way, that's self-sacrificing. <laughs> I'm even more overwhelmed with God's love for me. That we see in 1 John chapter 4. His love is so incredible. So overwhelming. And it makes us think like Him. some ways. You can just so relate to it. But 
I feel like that in this room there are people who either need an infusion of God's love to get you through where you what you're going through right now or maybe there's something between you and God that you want to make sure gets settled so you can feel his love working through you again maybe some of you've never been introduced to his love I won't I, I, we got lots of folks here and they just want to connect with you and to be a real hand a real shoulder to speak into your ear God's love prayer team if you could just impress upon them and share with them how much God loves them and how his love can transform them into being loving people to mature them and grow them I feel like some of you need that today some of you are like the leper in Havana and your eyes are going help this is a loving place and we invite you to meet not a this isn't a, a, a screen or a video or an iPad. These are real people. That's Larry Jones. He loves you. That's Becky George. She loves you. Eric and O.C. Harden, their love's matured for how many years now? 120? <laughs> Let me tell you this. They know how to speak God's love into people's lives. Come on, folks. This is all about you connecting with God's incredible love. Would you stand together with me? Some of you need to...